So when we open up to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. So we are now on our second sermon. On our new sermon series. Rediscovering the Father. And so uh, last week, as you guys are turning to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, last week I was teaching on a desert God desires a desert people, right? Uh, the first sermon on a series on rediscovering the Father. And uh, this one uh, is entitled Sacred Ecology. Sacred Ecology. Um, and so last week we were learning about the importance of understanding the roots of our faith that monotheism came out of the dust of the desert. And then he calls us to be a desert people. A desert people that are not tied to city gods and not tied to city things and not tied to idols because idols will hold you back in one place. But we are called to be almost likened unto a nomadic people that are seeing the wonder of God in all of the things. And so unfortunately in the church largely today, we forget a couple things. One, we forget the father and we forget the father's heart and what it means and, and the details of that. But we also, in our modern society, we have uh, largely forgotten or have just lost the way of the amazement of who God is. Because of the inventions, because of the discoveries, because of the advancements of civilization, which we all benefit from, um, we have sometimes lost the wonder and amazement of the glory of God. I think that's foundational. And so this week, I want to talk a little bit about something that's on my heart called sacred ecology. Um, and it's not hippy-dippy, save the polar bear kind of thing. Although you see ecology, you may think that. It's, it's, it's something else, okay? It's a sacred ecology. And we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. But let's begin Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. And came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So, let's get into this, right? <clears throat> ecology. What is ecology? It's a study of uh, ecosystems. Um, it is essentially the study how human beings interact with their environment, how they interact with the world, how they interact with plants and animals and what have you. But it's essentially, it's how human interacts Humans interact with their environment. Might take you back to like ninth grade, like physical science class or something, right? Sacred. Sacred. Consecrated. Holy. Set apart. And so the Lord is just downloading to me some, some questions for us in the modern world, and it's this. How do we interact with the holy and the sacred? Like, what's our ecosystem? What's our ecology? Not of interacting with the streams and the, and the birds and the animals. How is your interaction with the holy? 
How does humans, or how do humans today interact with the sacred? What's the relationship like? What's the interaction? Um, unfortunately, I believe that over time, the church's approach to a holy interaction has changed. This leads us to another question. Well, what is holy? I mean, we can define holy in very like biblical theological terms, right? Set apart, different. But what I mean by what is holy, I mean, yeah, the meaning, but also which things. Which things in our environment, which things that exist are in fact holy? So the question's here, right? How do we actually interact with the holy and the sacred? And which things are actually holy and sacred? And which things are not? So ecology is how does modern man, or at least what I'm going for, this sacred ecology, is how does modern man interact with people, places, and things, and those things which are in fact holy? We can't really understand sacred ecology, how you and I interact with the holy, unless we understand how you and I interact with just things. People, places, gadgets, technology, things, a cup of coffee, your car, whatever and whomever. And so I'm very fascinated by this. Um, some of you who were around back in the 60s, maybe even late 50s, may have heard of this guy. Uh, his name is Marshall McLuhan. He wrote a uh, fa fascinating book called Understanding Media. Uh, but really what McLuhan, as a professor from uh, Canada, was outlined back in the, the late 50s and the 60s uh, is this notion which is called media ecology. And so it's how does mankind interact with media? And it's not like TV. It's not just newspapers. The way that he defines media or a medium is essentially all of mankind's invention. All of mankind's discoveries. How do they interact with these things? It could be something as simple as a, a, a flint knife from a primitive society. Or it could be the complexities of a network of computer softwares of a more modern industrialized community. It doesn't matter. How do we interact with the tools? How do we interact with the tools that we have created? And so, a very powerful quote from him in his book is, We become what we behold. We shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. So, my question to get this started here is, what do you behold? What do you behold? Because what you behold, well, will also behold you. Mankind makes a tool and the tool makes us. Hmm. So what do we behold? And so I'm going to uh, go through, and uh, I apologize if this is a little too philosophical, a little philosophical, but we'll, we'll bring it all back home, I promise, by the end. Let me, let me give you some examples here. <clears throat> First, the light bulb. Ah, the light bulb. Pretty cool thing, right? Who here likes the light bulb? Yeah. I like the light bulb. Okay. Okay, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. So what we would say here is this, or rather what would McLuhan say in the concept of media ecology? Man creates an invention. And we get all excited about the new tool. Because it creates a basic change. A good 
change that we all really, really benefit from. Example, what the heck is the basic change of a light bulb? Well, the basic change of a light bulb is, of course, artificial light. Yeah, I mean, we have light now. Cool. I get it. It's awesome. It's great. All right, uh, what about uh, central heat? Fortunately, no one here remembers the day because you weren't around when you didn't have central heat. Did you? Really? Living up in the farmhouse, maybe, or up in upstate New York? Okay. Somebody has a coal furnace, or maybe it was even further back than that, and before coal, you're just burning wood in a fire. Everyone benefits from this. We love it. It's awesome. It's a good thing. But McClure would say, well, let's take a pause. We've made the tool. We have beheld the device. We have beheld the discovery and the invention. Now, how does it behold us? What has it done to us? Is there maybe another question to ask? Which we don't do because we only see benefit. Hmm. Well, let's take a look. What he'll say is that there's actually another level to the invention. He calls this the medium is the message. Like that's his famous line. Like what the discovery is, the invention, who cares? But how it changes how we interact and how we are, that's the message. So he says that there's a deeper societal or philosophical, metaphysical change that happens. Artificial light. I don't know, man. There's some days I really wish we didn't have a light bulb. Why? Because the concept of time has changed. Without a light bulb, you don't bring work home from the office. Exactly. <laughs> like your boss could be like, uh, can you do those papers? You're going to be like, bro, I, I mean, the candle only casts off so much light. I, there's only so much I can see. Like, they're not going to expect that. As a teacher, all of you students out there, you would have no homework. Like, how can you, uh, sorry, sir, I couldn't see the, the, the journal I was supposed to read. I couldn't see the mathematics. I couldn't see the arithmetic tables. They don't exist. They're not there. I, I, I can't, I mean, they are there, but I can't see them because there's no light. I mean, the candles are actually quite expensive and, and things of that nature, right? Thanks. The technology, huh? Get in there. All right. Let's take this moment. Mark. I want to say hello to you. Bristol Hope has a, uh, an internet following now. It's one guy, I think. But his name is Mark. Yeah, everyone say hi to Mark. Hi, Mark. <laughs> See, we couldn't do that without the technology. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But let's go back to this, right? Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of truth to this to really ponder and meditate on. The concept of time has just been changed. This time of year, before the light bulb, life, work rather, stops at 4.30. Can you imagine a life whereby now your work, your studies, your hustle and bustle, Stops at 4.30. The sun has gone down. It's time to now stop. Rest. Chill out. Light bulb's on! 
Your boss can tell you, hey, I need that report, I need this, I gotta check my email, I gotta check the text, I gotta do this, blah, blah, blah. These kids have to do the homework, blah, 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 blah. Right? So the, what I want you to understand is that the light bulb is not just a light bulb. The light bulb changes our understanding of time as we know it. The concept of time has been changed forever. So these are the things that the Amish were going up against. It's not like these inventions are of the devil. They just saw, right, the Amish, that these things are going to lead us down a place where we shouldn't go. And I'm not preaching that, but that's the real rationale for them. Uh, let's talk about central heat, right? Similar heat in each room. Well, what does that do? Couldn't make you sick yet with all the, the, the dust and stuff. But I want to get to this. Uh, the concept of space has changed. Creates privatized space. Creates bigger homes. Bigger homes, your kids can go hide in their own rooms. Let's say that the power goes out, right, up in the northeast, right? It's cold. The power goes out. Where is everyone going to be during that storm? Next to the fire. And that fireplace is going to cast off 12 feet of heat. And they're all huddled up together. And brother and sister are annoying each other. But you know what? The monopoly comes out, and it's a little annoying, but aren't that, isn't that the place where memories are made? Like you're interacting with the kids, and you make the, you make the silly little tent over the chairs, and you're all underneath there, and you know, dad goes out to the backyard with the barbecue, and he's heating up some hot cocoa and some water for people, and you know, Johnny is screaming out Emmy and all that kind of stuff, but you know what? You're together! That was the way of humanity in the Northern Hemisphere. Every day. Especially in the cold. Until centralized heat. And so now we have centralized heat, and the heat can be pushed into different rooms. And so now I have my room, my kids have their room. If it's too loud, you go over there. If you want to watch TV, you go in that room. If you're going to go here, you go to this room. And everyone is just spread out. People come home and they just have their now their own private space. Central heat is not heating the home. The message of central heat is that it creates a new concept of private space in families opposed to public space of families. That's what it does. And so if we, just so you guys get a little understanding of this, um, it's really, it can get really trippy quick. You just follow me here. Uh, in the study of physics, there are different dimensions. Two of the dimensions of the world is both time and space. Those are dimensions. If you now alter our concept of both time and space, and you have changed those dimensions in a social, logical way, we now live in a different dimension. We live in a different world than it was 150 years ago. People say it all the time. Well, we live in a different world now. I know we say that, but what I'm trying to convey to you is we actually live in a different kind of metaphysical space. Amen. Time is different. Space is different. And so this, of course, takes me to the, the big one, right? The cell phone. So it's an invention. It's cool. It's great. We all love it. How can you not love it? It's incredible. You can't. That's the power of these devices. You can't get rid of the light bulb, people. 
You can't get rid of central heat, really. You, you can't. That's because the world has changed. You can't go back to the old world. It's been changed. That's the whole point. Like in physics, like the dimension has been changed. Right? So you can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Been there, done that. It's gone. You can't go back. The cell phone, right? The basic change here, of course, is connectivity and convenience. Right? Uh, but what I, what I would argue here is this, um, that now the societal change is that the loss of sacred time and sacred space has happened. That's the societal change. This isn't a message against social media that's, that's like so like naive. What I'm trying to show you here is that the device has changed our dimension and how we perceive everything else. It's not the device. That's silly. It's, it's not the device. Devices are neither good nor bad. It's how these inventions now change everything else in the way in which you see things, in the way that you think about things. The light bulb changes our concept of time, and central heat changes our concept of space. Oh my gosh. The loss of the sacred. The loss of sacred time and sacred space. You see, with the, with the cell phone and the connectivity of all things and everyone, everything becomes public. Every moment and every space is shared. All space and all time is now common. It's public. You are never alone. When was the last time you were alone in your shower? But on day to day, you're never alone. Well, you know, Dave, if I go for a jog and I go for a run, I'm alone. No, you're not if you have the cell phone with you. If you have the ear, the, 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 the headphones in, you're not alone. There's voice, there's, there's things that are speaking to you. Even if you put it on silent, it doesn't matter because anyone on planet Earth that has your digit can now invade that what? That's space and time. Come on, you've been praying with the Lord and you, and you hear your cell phone go off and you, you look. Something that was between you and the living God has now been something that was so private and so sacred now has been invaded by Pico calling you to change your electricity. <laughs> now, even if you're like, I'm not going to answer that, the very fact that you can answer it, somewhere in your mind it's there. Now, I remember, um, Michelle's not here today because she's not feeling well, but I remember it was on our first or second date. I was, I was a little sly back then. No, I'm not sly anymore. I remember we, uh, we went out to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks in, in, over in, uh, up in Newtown, where she, where she was living. And um, I made it a point. That when we went to get coffee, we took the coffee out to go for a walk. I made it a point to take out my cell phone. I remember planning this. Oh, planning it. I planned, I know. I told you this slide. I planned it. I wanted her to see me power down the cell phone. It worked. I remember her being like, what are you doing? I said, um, it wasn't the first day because I'll be like a little heavy. I think it was the second or third day. Uh, I was like, this is our time. No one else is getting in it. 
I've waited to take you out on a date, and I don't want anyone disrupting this time. It's you and me. That's it. No one else is allowed. My time. It's a little bit more sensitive one. I remember when we had uh, Naomi, um, you know, the family was like, oh, take pictures, take pictures. You know, can you put up on Facebook, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. And, and boom, baby's out. Everyone's good. Everyone's safe. Everyone's cleaned up, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, Michelle was like, um, let's take pictures. Everyone wants to see it, blah, blah. And I said, no. Family wasn't too happy with that. Like, why, why aren't you sending pictures? Why aren't you putting on Facebook so people say? I said, I've waited 31 years for this moment. It's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. It's my wife's. And it's my new daughter's. You're not allowed in. It's sacred. It's not yours. We've lost that concept. All things are public and then therefore nothing is sacred anymore. This is a very, very powerful thing. It's not social media. It's not the cell phone. It's how it changes our perception of what is right and what is correct, that which is sacred, that which is private, and that which is public and common. This is a very, very important message and I think a timely message. You get what I'm saying? Is it hitting home? Does, does it resonate? Does it resonate? All right, so let's, let's go on a little bit of a journey. 1,996 in the year of our Lord. 1996. I'm, uh, I'm 16 years old at the time. The rich kid down the street gets the internet. The rich kid down the street gets the internet. I was like, oh my gosh, you have internet at your home. It was prodigy, like, you know, kind of thing, AOL and all that. I don't even think AOL was out yet. It was crazy. It was like Netscape and uh, this thing called prodigy. Anyone under 38 four doesn't even know what the heck I'm talking about. It's okay. Guys, I, 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 I say this to my students because they're like, yeah, whatever. I went 16 years of life without the internet. I'm not that old. I, I went 26 years until I got this annoying email on my college email address with this weird thing called Facebook. There's only, well, guy, all, you, all the millennials and Gen Zs out there, guess what? You weren't allowed in. It was only for people that were in college. So, Han, we were the only ones that were allowed to have it. And then they changed their thing. Uh, I remember uh, going 27 years until 2007 in the iPhone. The real first functional smartphone happened. 27 years without this stuff. I remember being in sixth grade, Mr. Olson, social studies class, typing a book report on a typewriter. I'm 39. I remember being, oh man, I screwed up. <laughs> Pull it out, put it back in. Pull it out, blah, blah, And you know, kids and people are like, oh, you know, who cares, blah, blah, what's the big deal from going from a typewriter to a computer? I'm like, you don't understand, man, it's everything. You have no idea. With a typewriter, you have to think before you type. With a computer, you can type and then you think. And then what happens here is now, that leaks over into the world. And what happens now is you speak without thinking. In an age before a computer, you have to think before you speak. Now, we Right, and then therefore we speak before we think. It's not about, ooh, I get the backspace or I have to pull the paper out. It fundamentally changes your perception of how we interact. It's not using wide out, pulling out the thing. It changes our mind in the way we perceive everything. And you don't understand that, and that's okay. Just like I don't understand how a light bulb changed everything. 
because I wasn't around them. These things have major, major, deep, deep societal, cultural effects. So, let's talk about people. Uh, if you're born decently before 1996, like you, you remember the 90s, you re the early 90s, you remember the, even the late 80s, right? Remember the 80s, I remember. What fondest times were in the 80s. I remember the 70s Okay. I don't know if I would want to remember those, but I'm glad you can remember because a lot of people alive in the 70s can't remember them for different reasons. I, 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 so I've been told. I wasn't even a twinkle in my father's eye yet, but let's get back to it, right? Here's the thing. Um, those people significantly born between uh, the, uh, 1996, I, I would say like the mid-80s and, and earlier, if you were born then, you were considered a digital immigrant, meaning you lived and you remember a non-digital age. You remember it, and some of you remember it far better than I do. But I, I, I remember like fifth birthday, like getting a VHS. Like that was the big thing. Like, oh my gosh, we can get a VHS? Like, you know what a, do you know what a VHS is? Do you know what a VHS is? It was like, it was like a game changer, man. It was a game um, those of those, the rest of you out there uh, that have been around, uh, that are a little newer to planet Earth, you're considered a digital native. You've only been born into digital space. You don't know, you don't, and nothing against you. You, you just weren't around before pre-digital analog space. You, you weren't around. You didn't exist yet. That's okay. Nothing against you. But, but it's different. And here's, here's the thing, guys. Um, I would argue those people that were born 1978, 1979, 1980, 82, whatever, uh, when, when we die, no longer on planet Earth will there be a creature that remembers non-digital space. Of non-digital space. It's not going to Wikipedia and being able to go to Google. That's not what we're talking about. That's, that's naive, silly stuff. We're talking about fundamental things of the understanding of that which is sacred, that which is holy, that which is private, that which is public. It will be gone forever from planet Earth. And digital immigrants would then become, obviously, extinct. It's going to happen, right? Cares, Dave. I get it. When the concept of sacred space is lost, which I think is largely going to happen when the last of the digital immigrants die. This is a very prophetic message for the future. When the concept and understanding of sacred space is lost, all things become common. And now God in your life is tempted to be made a common thing. The new dimension, when it happens, and it's already happening, is this. The familiar is tempted to become mundane. Relationship is tempted to become routine. Everything can happen at a twinkle of an eye. You can talk to whoever you want at any given point. You can go out with your friend and have dinner and then take a picture of it and put it up on social media. And now everyone else has been invited into that once private place. And it's now public. 
But the sacred is holy. The holy is that which is set apart and consecrated. And to rediscover or to rediscover the Father is a sacred act. And it is a call to restore that which is deemed common to its rightful place of holy wonder. God is not a common thing. Neither is your spouse. And neither is your kids. And neither is the cup of coffee that you're having with a friend. Which things are holy? All things that God has brought into. It's set apart, special, unique, consecrated. And I don't know if really you can have consecrated things on the media. Well, actually, let me phrase it. You absolutely can. But when we view our relationships with each other and with God as common and as quick and as easily accessible as all the other relationships that have been changed because of the device, we're in a whole lot of trouble. Amen. We're in a whole lot of trouble. If God becomes as convenient to you as you looking up something on the phone, we have a problem. We have a significant, serious problem. He is not so easy to get to. He is only able to get to because of the blood of Jesus. A holy relationship that has been set apart and sacred, that is highly private, but yet also very public. But if we just live in a common place of the public sphere where all things are advertised and all things are shared and all information is shared, I'm telling you, man, you've lost a holy bush moment. And I really want to speak to the young people here. And it's not to belittle you because all of us, all of us are in this, right? All of us are using this stuff. You see, there are sacred moments in both time and space for us today and also in the scripture. So let's, let's get a little biblical here before we close out. All right? So we have, uh, of course, a, bo a burning bush moment that occurs with Moses, which we, we, we read. And I, I want to read it again. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord, which is a representation of most people would say of Yeshua, of Jesus, Malak Adonai, the messenger, not just an angel, but a messenger of the Lord, appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, when God saw that Moses turned and looked, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. What do we have here? Look at this. Um, he says here, Moses said to himself. Moses says, I will now turn aside and see. Moses needs to turn away from the common and see the bush. The bush doesn't just pow, pow come into his face. No, 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 no. Moses says unto himself, I will now 
turn aside from all that I see and gaze upon that book. There's a premeditated thought by Moses. He isn't just walking down the hill and now, whoa, big bush. It's like, there's I am going to turn. It's very specific in the grammar here. I will now turn. He thought about it. He desired it. I'm going to turn and look and see. What does he look and see? He says, this great sight. He had to look away from the common stuff, people. To see the holy. The holy doesn't just come to him. He has to look away from the common, mundane, public spaces of life and gaze upon the greatness of his holiness. There was an action that took place by him. And what does he see here? He sees a great sight. He acknowledges the greatness of God. Can we uh, have the worship team or Mary or whoever to come on down, please? What I'm trying to get here is Moses could only see the holy moment because he chooses to turn and see. And so there are some questions that are here with us that I need you guys to really, really ask yourself. There's no condemnation in the, in the house of the Lord. There's no condemnation, but I, I need you to ask yourself these questions. Today, today, 2020, would Moses, or anyone, in fact, would they miss the burning bush? I mean, a real burning bush. I'm not, talking metaf- I'm not talking like metaphorical. I'm talking a real, legitimate burning bush. Would Moses today, living in 2020, and you, me, would we actually miss the bush? Because the only way that Moses sees the bush is that he consciously says, I am going to look upon the holy and not look upon the common. Would you miss it? Or something a little heavier. Have you already missed the burning bush moments in your life? And you didn't even know. Because we were too busy looking at the public square, too busy looking at those things which are mundane and common, and therefore we've made our God mundane and common. My relationship with people via my phone is so common that I can just pick up the phone and get going with it. What I behold beholds me. Now my view of God becomes a common and mundane thing. And if it's common and mundane, you're not going to see the holy. You're not going to see the great sight of a burning bush. Can I get an amen? See, there are so many gadgets, there's so many things, there's so much of the public space that's created that call our attention and maybe, just maybe, we miss the holy bush moments. And the scriptures unto Moses, and I'm saying for us today, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in this generation. It is time to take the shoes off and stand on holy ground. My concern is if a people make all things common, all things mundane, we miss the holy moments. We miss the sacred. And so, this may offend some of you, but get over it. Today, a burning bush moment comes and modern man will be taking a picture of it. It will come and go like a Facebook notification. Like if we had a holy moment, 
and the fire of God fell, everyone would take out their phones, everyone would take out video feed, and he would come, and he would go, as if he was a notification. The social media is not the problem, people. The inventions and the technology is neither good nor bad. It is all about the message. The message that the invention brings to our culture, our mind, our soul, nothing is private anymore. Nothing is sacred. All is for all to see. All for all to behold. But God couldn't reveal himself to Moses in the face of all of Israel. He needed Moses alone. I want to have a sacred moment and time with you. Amen. We need that again. And it's great to just register, but I'm just wondering, I'm wondering, of all these gadgets and all the time, if our brains have been so metamorphosed to a place where we can't even understand the concept of private space with God again. And it becomes so common. I'll just look them up. When I need that scripture verse, I'll just look it up on Google. When I need that worship feel, I'll just put on the song. Moses did not have a, a, a stereo system. Moses did not have headphones. Moses only had the heartbeat and the sound. Of a bush that, can, that, that burned to fire but could not be consumed. It was the holy fire of God. So as McLuhan said, we become what we behold. We shape our tools and our tools shape us. And so if what we behold becomes common then I become common. My friendship with Zeke becomes common. It's just a common thing. And then we may be viewing God as a common thing again. We in the church, in our families, in our lives, we need to restore holy ground again. Holy, pure, sacred, set apart. He's calling us to sacred time He's calling us to sacred space again. Sacred life. And throughout the generations of life on planet Earth, He's always done this. But my concern is, it's never been so difficult to pull you to the place of private. Not because your cell phone is there. Because that cell phone being there for the last 10 years may have done something here. Or worse off. You've never actually been an adult without it in your pocket. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. But all of us know, us digital immigrants, we know, we remember, and we're trying to show you and teach you this principle. He calls unto us from the garden. Where are you, Adam? Right? We never had to say, where are you, God? He, he, we never have to ask that. He actually asked, where are you, man? Where are you, Adam? He's sitting here waiting and yearning for a people, both digital native and digital immigrant, to come to him. And we know from the story what happened. Adam and Eve are hiding behind the fig leaves, right? 
hiding themselves. And so I believe that there is a modern day fig leaf where we are hiding ourselves from God. The fig leaves of Adam and Eve have been replaced by our busyness and by our making a holy God a common thing due to living a world which drives all events and relationships into the public square, the place where all things are common. Let me stand, please. You and I are called to holiness, being set apart. We are called to be holy because He has made us holy through His blood. But we need to be able to activate this sacredness. We need to be able to activate it by making our faith set apart, by making our relationships set apart, making our lives set apart. So how do we do this? We need to turn and gaze at the burning bush. We need to look away from those things which are common and look and see that which is holy. We can't be distracted by everyone and everything else that exists in the public space. We need to restore the private again. We need to acknowledge the greatness of God. And we need to cultivate our understanding of His greatness. And this can only be achieved and only understood in a place of sacred time and sacred space. First Peter 2, in closing up. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That which is in yellow, that is not a common thing. It is not something that you just read off of a 75-inch TV and call it a day. Holiness, sacredness of space and time. I and you who deserve not mercy, received mercy. That is a holy moment that deserves for me to take off my shoes and fall down on my knees before a holy God and say, Lord, let me understand the holiness of that concept again. I was yet a sinner, but yet Christ died for me. That is more than an Instagram picture of it. That's more than a Facebook picture of it. It's more than a preacher preaching it. It's a holy moment, sacred time, when I just yearn and glory in your amazing wonder. Your amazing wonder. I, a sinner, a wretch like me, received mercy. How uncommon a thing. So let us, in the new digital age, never once make that which is holy and sacred 
a common thing, a mundane thing. He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous. He is love. He is judgment. He is power. He is humility. He is grace. He is the ancient of days. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord who heals. He is the Lord that was and is and is to come. He is a God above all gods. He is the Almighty God. He is the Great Shepherd. He is the Lord God of heaven's armies. He is the author of my life and the finisher of my life. He is the Great I Am, the Beloved Son, the Lamb of God, who is slain at the foundations of the earth for you. You simply can't capture that in 120 characters on Twitter, my friend. You simply can't capture that in a picture with writing on it. You can only capture it when you're in sacred, sacred space and sacred time. A Kairos moment, a Moadim moment with him. And I'm telling you, young and old, digital immigrant, digital native, it is time to stand on holy ground, just you and the Father. Just you in the burning bush. You there saying, burn it all out, God. Burn out every sin, every evil inclination. You can take it. Let me be the bush and you be the fire and burn up the dross, oh God. So you can be like Moses and descend the mountain of God and bless the people of Israel and bless the nation and teach them the ways of the one true God. leaving yet. If I get a little bit more microphone, please. Let's, let's just not leave this moment. I know your phone just rattled. I know the notification just came up. I know the beep just happened. I know your wife or your spouse or your kids are wondering why you haven't texted yet. But you know, before a cell phone, they would just be like, oh, they're spending a little bit more time at church. No need to worry. But now they're worrying because they haven't heard from you. Come on, let's, let's just be in a sacred place with him. Come on, those of you that need a holy, sacred, ground moment, just invite you to come up to the altar. Those of you who want to restore the knowledge of the holy in your life, we say, Jesus, I don't want my relationship to be with you as a casual fling. Come on. We just got to say, Jesus, I don't want to make my relationship with you one that I download from Tinder. Swiping left, swiping right. 
We say, no, Jesus. I want to have intimacy, relationship with you. A burning bush moment. A holy fire moment. We say, Lord, we say unto you, Father, we're not going to allow the inventions of our culture to change our mindset of how to view the holy. We're not going to allow you to become common. Not in this house. Not in this church. Uh Uh-uh. A holy God who cannot be captured on film. That sacredness cannot be captured. It can only be experienced. In Jesus' name.